Father God, we pray to thank you for today. Uh, we pray to thank you that we're able to just come together and gather and, and look at your word uh, and see what it is that you have to, to tell us. God, as we continue through First uh, Peter and we get into chapter 3, I just ask that you would speak through me the truth that it is you wish for all of us to hear uh, this morning so that we could take it out into the world in our daily life and actually apply what it is that we hear. God, we just pray all this in your person, Son, Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so so we're in First Peter chapter three um, today, and I don't know why, but it seems like I always get stuck with the marriage chapters as an unmarried person, which is just all kinds of trouble. It's just like if you know if I if I really wanted to have fun today, I would just open up with First Peter three. In the same way, wives submit to your husband and then walk off the podium. You know. <laughs> right, but I can't. I can't do that. It, it later says that men should, should take care of their, their families as well. But uh, So, so in, in prepping for this sermon, uh, I wanted to, to kind of continue in the mantra that we've been going through 1 Peter. Uh, between 1 Peter 1, where we talked about... Uh, our living hope and, and preparing our minds, keeping a sober spirit and, and fixed on the hope that we have in Christ. And then with Steve's message on how to deal with people in the world culture. And if you have subtitles for, for chapter 3, you'll see that in most cases it says godly living or, or something along those lines. And so that's where we're going to focus today. Um, we're going to be focused on verses 8 through 12. Uh, and to start out, we're only going to look at verse 8, because I think verse 8 has... I could have done a sermon just on verse 8, but I felt like that was taking the easy way out by only looking at one verse. And so <clears throat> we see verse 8 says, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Right? That's a pretty good list on if we want to live godly to do all of those things. Now, this is where it gets interesting. We're going to look at definitions for each of these, but I want to pay attention to one word in particular because the other words all essentially are synonyms of each other. Right? So the word that we're going to focus the most on is harmonious. But we're also going to look at sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. So the definition of harmonious is of one mind. Okay? I think that does the word injustice. So if you think about music we just got done worshiping if you talk about singing in harmony it's different aspects coming together for one purpose to make something sound much much better right throughout scripture we're told to be in one spirit and to live harmoniously with each other and i think we all just take that as oh i need to be kind to the person next to me i need to be able to live with that person but I think that sells it short. A harmony isn't a harmony if it's all altos, 
right? Altos can't sing in, or most of the time don't sing in harmony with each other because they all sing the same note. Now, if you added a soprano in there, they can harmonize because there's two different notes working together for the same purpose. And then you get into your tenors and your basses, and then an immensely beautiful sound comes out from those four parts singing their respective notes for the purpose of making a beautiful noise. So the reason I want to pay attention to this is because multiple times throughout scripture, we're all told everyone has their part, right? Where I might be a tongue, someone's an eyeball, or where you're a foot, somebody else is a hand. We can't all do the same job, but if we work in harmony by doing the job that we know we're supposed to, to fulfill a common purpose, then the body actually functions. And that was really cool when I started to think about this because up until a couple days ago, I thought harmony was just, okay, be kind with each other. Learn to live alongside one another. But then when I started to think about it, I was like, no, harmony is so much deeper than that. And I think in, in starting to, to think about the body of Christ that way, it puts a whole new perspective to what the different parts of the body do or sound like. And that was really, really encouraging to think about. And so as we go into these next ones, these next couple of words, you'll see that it's all essentially the same thing. They all mean the same thing. The words could be used in replacement of each other. We all have different versions of scripture. There are probably versions where they've just swapped the words because of how close they are in meaning. So the next one is sympathetic, which, as we know, means feeling alongside someone else or having compassion for somebody, right? If you're going through a rough time, I can sympathize with you in what you're going through. Like, oh yeah, that sucks. When I was first going through this, I thought, I was like, I wonder if they mean empathize with someone. Because sympathy, I guess in today, is, is almost, it's a negative thing. You're, you're pitying someone in most, kind, most times if, you're, if you have sympathy on someone. And I was like, I don't know if living godly is pitying other people. And so I, I searched through a couple different versions of scripture and each one used a word for sympathy or compassion. I was like, okay, that, that's what Paul meant. And I was like, okay, cool, sympathy. I don't like that word personally, but maybe it's because I'm not sympathetic with people. Maybe, <laughs> you know, I'm not above saying that that's a possibility. But we do see times in scripture where Jesus has compassion on people. Just got done sharing the story of the rich young ruler at Crew, and at the end of that, Jesus has sympathy for the rich young ruler because he was unwilling to give up his desires to gain eternal life. And so sympathy has its place to where if we, we love someone and we want them to join us in eternal life, I guess there is pity to be shown when they choose 
to not be there. And then looking at the rest of this chapter, I was like, okay, yeah, that fits. So the next word that we have is brotherly. And this one, again, I, it was frustrating to know that these words were the ones that were chosen. I was hoping it was one of those, you find a gold nugget of a word that was completely different. But even looking into the Greek uh, dictionary, it's all the same. And so this one is the idea of family. Loving someone in a way that you love your family, brotherly, sisterly, whatever word you want to use. But again, this makes sense because as a part of the kingdom, we all are family. This past weekend, I think, was the most I've ever been called brother in a 48-hour period by the guys that I was on this weekend with. And that used to bother me because I thought it was just like a showy word or, or something like that. Or there's a kid at the Dollar General that calls me father when I go in there, and it creeps me out, right? But when, I, when you think about it that way or, or people refer to, to females as sisters within the body, there are some people that legitimately see you that way. And there was a guy at the, at the weekend that him and I developed a, a pretty good relationship, and he's one that calls me brother every time I meet him. And it, and it finally clicked that he does legitimately see me as a brother in Christ. It's not just a word. And that I, I can say that that escalated our relationship a hundredfold. Knowing that if I was in any sort of dire situation or if I needed anything, he'd be there at a drop of a hat because he saw me as family. And now, my relationship with my family is not a good one. And so I think that might be why this one is so hard for me because that's something that I don't know well, and I'm sure there's people here that can also agree with that. It's like, yeah, what does a loving family look like? Like, what would that feel like to have a family that you see in, in movies or, or read about in scripture where a brother would literally die for the other one? Mine would be like, deuces, see you on the other side. And that's, that's crazy to think about. And so the more I started looking into this word, I was like, okay, yeah. If we're called to be a family, if we're called to live in harmony with each other, being a family is there as well. Because in families, everyone does something different. We all have gifts, right? If you're ever in a family where everyone has the same gifts, they're clones. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Star Wars proves it. Right? It, just, it, it, it blew my mind. And so at the start of this, I struggled with that word or that idea because I thought it was just a fluff word. But then the more I ruminated on it, the more I realized that that is the goal. When you look in scripture, that's how Jesus treated the disciples. They were a family. And that's really encouraging to look at. Our next word, I have a... <laughs> This was the funniest word in looking up the definitions in the Greek. So definition for kind-hearted in the Greek, one of them 
is correct movement of the bowels. Which was a little weird. And then under it, it said compassion. I was like, okay, those are, those seem very weird to have the same word mean. But nope, Thayer's, Thayer's Greek Dictionary, there is one use where the word kind-hearted is a correct movement of the bowels. Okay. But so again, we see this idea of being compassionate. And now we know in, in Jesus' ministry when he repeated something, he meant it. There was more emphasis put onto that idea. And so we hear this is the second time compassionate has been repeated. Why? Why would compassion need to be repeated twice in this idea of living a godly life? We'll get to that in a second. The last word that we have, or phrase, is humble in spirit. Now, disclaimer, Paul, in a couple of mentions, says be humble in spirit with a capital S. And that's humble in the Holy Spirit. This is non-capital S, so it's not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the inner you. Right? And so being humble in the inner you is being courteous friendly and kind which can all be put back into an idea of being compassionate towards someone because if I'm friendly to them if they're in a rough spot I'm showing compassion to them if I'm kind to someone we just went over the word kind-hearted I'm being compassionate to them. So not only do we see it being repeated twice, but now we have this idea of being compassionate to others three times in one verse. That's a red flag. That compassion is immensely important. And we'll see why in verse 9. So 1 Peter 3, 9 says, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. So this is where we see why compassion is so important. Because we're called to not repay evil with evil. The only way I cannot think of repaying evil to evil to someone is by having compassion on the act that they just shared. If someone does me wrong, oh, it didn't. There we go. If someone does me wrong, our human natural reaction is to repay what they gave. But they did wrong probably because they're hurting in some way, shape, or form. So have compassion on be like, okay, look, I get it. You just slandered me because you're struggling with something. All right, I'll love you for it. Let's talk. It's easier said than done. But that's the idea of compassion. The idea of compassion is to give someone what they don't deserve, which we also know is grace. 
And so we see again this idea that if someone does something to us, I like how it also says if they insult you, don't insult back. When I think about myself in high school and middle school, and if I ever insulted someone, it's because I was hurting on the inside. Studies have been done with bullies that they bully because they feel insecure in their own right, and so they want to make someone else feel less secure than they do. And so if I can show compassion to that, that completely throws them off their wheelhouse. The end of this verse, it says that you would inherit a blessing and be a blessing to others. Right, so common, common saying is we want to store up our treasures in heaven, right? And we do that by living righteously and doing what we're commanded to. Well, if being compassionate to people is mentioned three times in one verse, I think it's safe to say that that's something we're commanded to do. And so when we can show compassion to somebody who has wronged us, that's us inheriting a blessing for later. That's us storing up a treasure in heaven in that right. When you look at the, the actual translation of this verse, it doesn't say, but giving a blessing, it says. It just says, be a blessing. And that's always encouraging to hear, that I can be a blessing to somebody else. Oftentimes in life, we get told that we're nothing. And yet here, we have Peter telling us that we can be a blessing to anyone that we choose to show compassion to which in our day and age is a lot of people that need it. Sometimes it's, it's we who need it and wish somebody else would be that for us. So these two verses alone, we could stop right here, call it a day. I think there's a lot to it, but I want to hammer home a little bit more about what Peter is getting at because Peter does a lot of referring to scripture in this section and so he's pulling this part out of Matthew 5 so if you want to turn to Matthew 5 with me so we all know Matthew Matthew like end 4 into 6 and partly 7 is, is the Sermon on the Mount right so Matthew 5 Starting at 43, I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. But I just put up 43 and 44 for you here. Is where Peter is pulling this section about being godly. 43 says, You have heard it said, it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's pretty powerful. Because it starts out by going, 
by uh, Jesus calling the normal culture. Love those who love you, hate those who hate you. And Jesus is saying, no, you're different. Be different. This idea of being a Christian is all about living different than those around us. One of the best ways to do that in today's culture is to try and love those that hate you. It confuses the crap out of you. For me, the, the hard part to swallow here is verse 48. It says, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, perfection is something that we think is unachievable. And I, I think it's improbable. I don't know if it's unachievable. And I think Jesus gives us a path to that right here. Because if I can love and give compassion to those around me and do that all the time, I'm getting pretty close. Right? If we think about just how much we sin against God and yet he gives us new mercy every morning because he's faithful to us, that's part of what makes him perfect. Is his ability to love us unconditionally and to allow us mistakes every day. And so I think if we want to be on that path, Living likewise is the way to do it. And now I don't stand up here saying that I'm perfect at that because I think we all know I'm not. But it's something to strive to. And sure, there are going to be times where it's too much. The scar might be too deep. But I think if we go to God about that and if we pray for compassion for ourselves, and if we're able to forgive ourselves for it, then forgiving others comes pretty easy. All right, the last part that I want to look at for today is I'm going to look at verses 10 through 12. So, so 1 Peter 10, or 3, 10 through 12, he pulls directly out of Psalm 34. That's why I chose Psalm 34 as our call to worship this morning. We're going to revisit Psalm 34 right after I read this, because I want you to see what the psalmist put that Peter left out. So verse 10 says, For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So now if we go to Psalm 34, I'm going to read verse 12 through 22, and then I'm just going to end it. I'm going to let this speak for itself. Um, 
because I'll probably just ruin it if I try and elaborate things. All right, so Psalm 34, 12 through 22 says, Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may seek good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you today as people that, that want to have good days and want to, to live lengthy lives that are filled with serving you. And God, as we, we read in 1 Peter here and in, in, in Psalm and in Matthew that you call us to love and compassion of those around us. And God, that is a difficult task in today's society. And I'm sure back then it was, it was difficult as well, but we tend to justify and think that somewhere along the lines we're righteous in, in not forgiving or, or, or showing love to people. But as we saw today, we're not. It actually says that you turn your ear against those that don't love those around us. And so God, as we, as we all desire to be close to you, that this is the first step. You call us to be perfect as you were perfect. And learning to love and have compassion on those around us is the one step that we can take to ready that, that process. God, we just pray that you would continue to work on this in our lives and give us eyes and hearts to love those and see those around us the way you see us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.